Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. What that turns out like. Hey church, how you doing? Having a good night? You enjoying our Roman series? Yes, yes. You know, a few yeses from the front row. That's good. Um, I'm gonna get started now. You gotta buckle up. I've got 10 minutes, okay? Now, if anyone knows me, knows 10 minutes is not a lot of time. We've got a lot of words and not much time to say it. So we're gonna get into it. Who's ever done something that they regret? Yep, I definitely have done a few stupid things in my life. Uh, Things that I did not want to do, yet I did them. Uh, A couple of things that come to mind. I once stuck my tongue into the inside of a freezer um, and ripped off the front of it. Uh, I don't know if anyone's done that. I was curious. Curiosity got the worst of me in that case. Um, Went mountain biking, really just overestimated my abilities this one mountain biking time. Looked at this trail, said, yeah, I could do that. Brother-in-law went down. I followed, broke my ankle. I uh, went over the handlebars, ended up being in a boot and uh, off my leg for quite a lot of time. I mean, positive, I've got an, I had a knee scooter out of it, and that was pretty unreal. If you've never seen one of those, look it up. Um, some of the biggest regrets, so I bought a girl a pair of Converse back in youth. Had a crush on her. Anyone who knows me knows that I've had my fair share of crushes in my time. And, uh, and this one girl, I bought her a pair of these uh, Converse that had some the, these flowers on them. I was so pumped. I'd saved up for them. It was her birthday. I gave them to her. She never wore them once. Thank you. <laughs> but let's get, let's get a bit more real because we all do stuff that we don't really feel very proud of. Maybe you've yelled at your kids because they wouldn't get in the car or in the bath or get into the bed or get in pretty much anything you wear. Wherever you want them to go, they go the opposite way. All the parents in the room said, thank you. Uh, maybe you gossiped about a friend and immediately regretted it. Maybe you had a few too many drinks one night and made a decision that you wish you hadn't. Maybe you just lied to a friend to cover your own butt. These are all things that I know we have all experienced at some time or another in our lives. Um, and that leads us, unless you're like, I don't know, Ethan Trigg. I don't think he's sinned at all in his, in his entire life. Um, but, but that leads us into, into my message. And I'm going to be speaking from Romans 7. And the title of my message is An Inner Dystopian Utopia and the Dead Corpse on Your Back. It might come up. There it is. An inner dystopian utopia and the dead corpse on your back. Um, Paul says this in Romans seven fifteen. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. Uh, but what I hate, that I do. And he goes on to say this, and the verse will come up. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I'm thinking, what? This is Paul. This is the guy that we have pretty much based our entire series off. Um, he's an apostle. He's... Um, He miraculously encountered Jesus um, and was blinded by the experience. He's considered the most important person after Jesus when it comes to Christianity, in the history of Christianity. So what hope have we got? And there is a lot more encouragement in this verse than at what first meets the eye. You see, our mistake is to see this inner friction as something that it isn't. The battle between good and evil, productiveness and laziness, I put my hand up for that one. Love and hate, gossip and words of encouragement. The list goes on. And while we're in this combat, this internal war, we tend to construct our value from it. We think, I've been really good this week. So you feel really good about yourself and about your relationship with God and others. And then another week, you've, you've, you stuff up and you go, oh, I'm, I'm the worst person in the world. And we do this, we do this, this up and down thing. Um, but this is, this is wrong. It's not about us and how good we are that makes us right with God. And this is what Paul was trying to communicate to the Romans at the time. Uh, But here's the danger, because generally our response in this internal battle is to hide. 
is to hide, is to put a brave face on, get the Insta highlight reel out, do the latest TikTok dance, uh, whatever it is, you know, hide yourself with some fig leaves like Adam and Eve, whatever your go-to is. Um, and often this search uh, of acceptance is not just for others, but it's actually an acceptance from God that we tend to hide ourselves. And so a quote's gonna come up and it says this, and I want you to just ponder on this. While you masquerade who you are, you'll only ever be loved for who you're not. And oftentimes in our heads, we think that we're the only ones that are having these struggles. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're, we're the only ones that, that don't do what we actually want to do and we see everyone else doing what we think we should be doing and what, and what we think they think that they're doing. Uh, but ultimately, we find ourselves in this, this rhetoric, this back and forth in our own selves. But who is to blame? You know, I thought we were highly intellectual beings uh, with an innately good temperament and good ideas and a free will and in control of our actions. Well... Maybe not so fast. You know, many psychologists have actually landed on a hill that denounces the idea of ultimate free will. Not that we don't have the free will to choose, but that there's something going on when we make a decision. Who has ever set some, uh, some New Year's resolutions, perhaps going to the gym, um, something like that? It's usually a common one. And we all start like really excited, really like pumped, like, yeah, we're going to do this. And we're like, you know, three weeks in, and then all of a sudden we're back to eating chips. The gym membership is just draining our bank account while we continue to not go. Um, Unless, uh, unless you're Sam Davidson, in that case, you just, you know, you're always at the gym just running and doing CrossFit and making us all look silly. Um, but perhaps there is a simple gap. Perhaps it's a simple gap of an undisciplined soul. Or perhaps there is something more mysterious in our human nature, a battle raging since the fall of Adam. And this is the battle that I would call is the rage against flesh and spirit. And Paul knew this better than anyone at the time. And that's who he's writing to when he's writing to the Romans. He acknowledged that there was this internal battle. There was this, this dystopian utopia that he, that he knew who he was in God. He knew who he was in the spirit, but he also still was battling with this flesh. He was battling with the sin. And there was this dystopian part of him that he couldn't quite get on top of. Um, and, and, and what he was trying to do was convince the church that their identity was not wrapped up in that because their sin is of their old selves and not who they are in Christ. Um, it's wrapped up in God's grace. In fact, Paul had a clear revelation of his, of his humanness, of his sin, calling himself a wretched man, which was quite um, heavy vocabulary for the day. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? And that leads me to the dead corpse on our back. It was the custom of ancient tyrants when they wished to put men in the most fearful punishments to tie a dead body around them, placing the two back to back. And there was the living man with a dead body closely strapped to him, rotting, putrid, corrupting. And this he must drag with him wherever he went. And what Paul was saying is that dead body was still there after his conversion. That sin was still there, his fallen nature was still there, and it's part of the process of sanctification. Some people might call it spiritual formation, but it is there, and that's why we make mistakes, that's why we are human, that's why we have not yet received the fullness of God yet, because it is a journey. Um, and we think, oh my goodness, what, what hope have I got? And you're probably sitting there going, Jordan, this is a great, encouraging, uplifting message. Talking about the dead corpse in your back and all the mistakes that you make as, as humans. Um, yeah, sit with me though, it's not where the story ends. Because Romans 8, 1 to 2 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who has given you life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
He goes on to say um, in his letter to the Corinthians in 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become, everyone say become, become the righteousness of God. And in the original Greek, that word become is ginomahi, which means to properly emerge, to become or transition from one point to another. It's a process. It is not something that happens overnight. And Paul is trying to encourage the Romans about this fact. So this means that our, that our, our sinly nature isn't suddenly removed. I think sometimes we like to think that that's the way it works, but unfortunately it's not. Um, but don't worry, there's good news. Um, and this inconsistency that we often see in ourselves, even though we're made righteous, but we don't act like it, and it forms this thorn in ourselves. And I had a thought, of, a thought think about this and going, oh, but can't we just all be good? If the evil in the world is within our reach to change, yet we do not, then the evil is not in the world, but in ourselves. We don't only see this inconsistency in ourselves, we see it in the whole world. Why? Is it the presence of some external evil or devil that we might call it um, that's attributing to this? I'm not so sure. A British newspaper once put out... Um, put out an, an inquiry some famous authors to say, what is wrong with the world? And I'm sure we would all have different answers at the moment. Um, it's the politicians, it's this side, it's the left, it's the right, it's the whatever you, whatever you want to put, fill in the gap there. And they had a response, which was this, dear sir, I am. The reality is our human nature is fallen, but we are a redeemed people. So where do we go to from here? We know that we have this sinful nature, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a choice on where we put our perspective, church. It doesn't mean that we don't have a choice. So I've got three really quick points before I hand over. Um, Paul says this, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. When we shift our focus from flesh to freedom. And so I've got a bit of a battle plan for how we can navigate this. And it's really quick, it's really simple. Number one, we stand in faith. Everyone say faith. It's going outside of ourselves and accepting the justification of grace for us. Number two, we stand in hope. Everyone say hope. The hope of our salvation that we have, which are we are participants in Jesus' resurrection. And finally, we stand in love. Everyone say love. This is our process. We love ourselves through Jesus and we love others through humility. And I think this one's really important because one thing that I've found is that when we try to cover up who we are, we fall into a bit of self-righteousness. We think of ourselves as the holy ones, of the ones that don't make mistakes, knowing full well that we are just as much the problem in the world as the person next to us. We need to have grace for each other, and we need to have humility towards others. Our inner battle is a process that is won in Jesus and through Jesus. And church, our stories aren't finished. Our stories aren't finished. You might have seen that picture up before um, of uh, the dystopia. The dystopia and the utopia right alongside each other. There it is. We have this utopian idea of who we are. And that comes because we were formed before sin. But then sin entered the world and we find ourselves in this dystopian version of what we were designed to experience. And it causes confusion and it causes hurt and it causes uncertainty and it puts us in a position that we weren't created to be in. But church, it is a process. And one day, which Brody is going to be chatting about in a second, we will find ourselves in that utopia. But on the journey, remember that it's a process and it's one in Jesus and through Jesus. 
your story isn't finished. Thanks, church. Um, I get the I get the privilege of inviting Brodes up, and I don't know if any. I'm sure everyone knows Brody, right? We all know you, Brody. But for those of you who don't, Brody is uh, one of the absolute legends in our church. She's one of our communication directors. Is that correct? What's your role called? She does something in the church. Um, but uh, services coordinator. <laughs> services. Co- we did we did a life group way back when. Um, yeah. You don't. Oh, I don't remember. You know what? I'm gonna find a, find a different story. No, but Brody has, Brody has this incredible way of looking at the world and this high level of thinking that even I am in awe of. And so um, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you're going to say, Brodes. Over to you. Thanks, George. I, um, I want to say nice things back, but look, they've already taken 15 seconds of my time. <laughs> 10 minutes is a long time for me too, so no time for jokes tonight. <laughs> um, I'm going to read a little portion of scripture from Romans 8, starting verse 18. We're going to go to 24. It says this, and yeah, it's up. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed within us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. Or we actually, we wait for it patiently, it says. Um, So I'm just going to go through this portion of Scripture, but I'm actually going to do it in a non-conventional way, and I'm going to go in reverse order. And if you are taking notes tonight, my title is a little less creative. It is New Found Glory. And yes, if you know the band, that was my inspiration. Um, I want to talk to you tonight about a concept, a theological concept called glorification. It is part of the salvation process. We start with justification, um, where, we have this, where we've been saved from the penalty of sin um, when we become Christians. And then we go through what George talked about, sanctification, we're being saved from the power of sin. And then we go through glorification. We will be saved from the presence of sin. And this happens when we are resurrected into eternal life. Going back to Romans 8, 24, verse 25, it says, For in this hope we were saved. Hebrews 6, 19, 20 says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus had entered on our behalf. Also, I'm going to apologise for my husky voice. I have just overcome the spicy flu. But I am not contagious. I'm very well now. So as Christians, the anchor for our soul is the hope of eternity. There's only one catch with that. That that anchor is based on a biblical view of eternity. And if your view of eternity is not biblical, you are like I was and you are holding onto a rope with no anchor on the end. And if you're not holding onto an anchor... The storms of life are going to knock you off course. 
You might be surprised to know this, but for more than half of my life, I have had a tangible and substantial fear of death. And at times it has been debilitating for me. It has robbed me of life. It started from what I remember when I was five. Um, I came home from mass. I was brought up in a Catholic church and they must have talked about heaven that night. And I remember sitting on my bench at home crying to my brother's amusement, going, I want to be one again. Because at five, I was scared of getting older. I was scared of turning six because I was getting closer to death. (laughs) And through different experiences and circumstances in my life, that fear has continued all the way into my 20s where I can tell you I was convinced that I would not make 30. Good news is I did. (laughs) And I continue through my 30s. Um, But I actually ended up with um, health anxiety and I had to see a psychologist about it. And the reason I feared death was I didn't actually fear death itself. I feared heaven. Um, My hope was not in the thing that hadn't happened yet. My my hope was in in earth. It was in this world. Um, The reason is I had a terrible theology of heaven. It was this ethereal, disembodied, floating soul. I thought that I'd be sitting on a cloud forever. Um, It was boring. And it was like this picture, although in my image, I didn't have wings or a halo. And I just thought I'd be sitting there, but I thought it would be quiet, it would be peaceful, it would be lonely, but the sun would be out. And clearly, I'm not the only person who thinks that because there's a comic on it. So I don't know where I got it from. Um, This is my hierarchy of places, my old hierarchy of places. So number one, the best place to me was Earth. The second place was heaven, and if you go off that description, it's really just a glorified hell. Um, And then the third was hell. And I was grateful to not be going to hell when I became a Christian, Um, but heaven really just felt like a consolation prize. And I am not alone in having an unbiblical um, theology of heaven. Um, I am going to skip a page of notes. So... I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I changed it, because the thing is this, we're responsible for our theology. Um, you know, I picked up that along the way of life, I don't know where from, um, but you've picked up a theology of heaven as well. And if it's not from the Bible, it's probably not true. And if it's from someone who's never read the Bible, it's probably not true. Um, so... When I was about 27 or 28, I went to Bali and I read the Bible. I was like, I've got to get through this fear because it's debilitating. Although it wasn't debilitating when I decided to ride a scooter through Seminyak. Wasn't afraid of death then. (laughs) Um, And I read this book called Heaven and it changed my perspective on eternity. So I want to tell you the two things that I didn't didn't believe correctly, my misinterpretations And hopefully they'll give you some hope. So the first one is, um, and if we go to Romans 8.23, it says, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So the first thing that I had wrong was I didn't believe in a bodily resurrection, which is pretty crazy because the cornerstone of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus. The empty tomb 
is significant, not just because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but because the empty tomb represents the resurrection of his body. So, but his resurrected body was different. So it was same, same, but different. And the interesting thing about that, so Jesus, when he was resurrected, he wasn't transferred to a new body. His body was resurrected, brought back to life, but it was changed. It was glorified. There were things about him that were similar. He had flesh and bones. Um, he had scars from his, before he, from his crucifixion. He ate food, but there were things that were different. He could move through walls. He ascended to heaven. And some people didn't recognize him. And so it's going to be with our bodies. We will be resurrected, but our bodies will be glorified. The, the curse of sin is going to be removed from our bodies. Our bodies will be um, immortal. We won't have sin anymore. We won't struggle with the stuff that Jordan was talking about. That's going to be gone. Um, I'm not going to go through them all, but if you want to read about the resurrected body, read 1 Corinthians 15. Um, Paul talks about how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? He says, what you sow not come, does not come to life unless it dies. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And for someone who has a fear of death, <laughs> knowing that one day you won't die is a really good thing. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51, he says this, listen, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash. And I love that. Jesus was changed, our bodies are gonna be changed too. Our resurrected bodies will be glorified bodies where the presence of and the consequences of sin will no longer exist. Our resurrected bodies will be similar, but they'll have differences, and these differences will be improvements. All right, resurrected bodies. That's a good thing, right? Number two is that we are going to live on a restored earth, not on clouds. Hallelujah. Um, I'm not going to go through the scriptures, but it talked about a groaning earth. Like our bodies, the earth is going to be redeemed. It's going to be same, same, but different. Um, if I was the service director, which I was going to be tonight, I wouldn't have sent them up yet because <laughs> I would have been in charge. Um, <laughs> 2 Peter 3.10 says this, The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. The earth was destroyed once with water in a flood, and it's going to be destroyed again in a fire. But this fire is not going to obliterate it. It's going to restore it like a, a purifying fire. It's going to bring the imperfections, the dross to the surface, and it's going to get rid of it. You know, all these words, reconcile, redeem, restore, recover, return, renew, regenerate, re resurrect, they all start with re, which means returning to an original condition. The original condition 
we find in Genesis, but it's gonna be made better. It's not gonna be a brand new earth. God actually loves this world. It says in John 3, 16, God, for God so loved the world. We're allowed to love this world, but it is gonna come to an end and it's gonna be restored. The second thing is it's gonna be really good. I used to fear this bored eternity. We're gonna be living in an eternity that doesn't have sin, death, oppression, racism, grief, mourning, loss, anxiety, and the list goes on. But what will be present is God. Revelation 21 verse three says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. I like this earth. Well, I love this earth. (laughs) The reason I love it is because God created it and God's good and He creates good things. Genesis 1 verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible bookends that, Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And guess what? God's the one that's going to create that. It's going to be really good. It's going to be better. And throughout Scripture, there's encouragement for us to look forward to the climax of history. Where creation, where we, which will be a creation of a new heaven and a new earth. A resurrected universe inhabited by resurrected people living with the resurrected God. So I have a new hierarchy now. Number one is that I think heaven's gonna be better than earth because I think it's gonna be a glorified earth. It's gonna be the same, it's gonna be different, but it's gonna be better. Number two is earth and then three is hell. We won't talk about that tonight. God promises that the glory of His people will demand a glorious creation to live in. So the fallen creation will obtain the very freedom from futility and evil and pain that the church is given. So when God makes all things new, He makes us new spiritually and morally. He makes us new physically. And then He makes the whole creation new so that our environment fits our perfected spirits and bodies. When I was in Bible college, I remember someone saying that earth is the only heaven that people who don't know Jesus will ever experience. But for Christians, it's the only hell we'll ever experience. And I can tell you that the longer I'm here, the more it feels like hell. <laughs> I still love it. So my final thoughts is this. It starts with Romans 8:18. 8, the start of that passage, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I've been through a bit of suffering and I don't like it. But I have an anchor in eternity now. I'm not holding on to a rope because I've changed my theology about what I remember, what I believe about heaven. It's based on the Bible. And I can tell you that it's changed how I walk on this earth. It puts what I go through into perspective because the things that seem really big now, I'm not minimizing them. But in light of eternity, they don't compare. My hope, I can tell you, is in eternity. And I know 
that we can have a right theology and a right doctrine on heaven. When we can be like Paul in Philippians, who is in jail in one, Philippians 1, 21, he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. That's me done. <laughs> Word rights. Thank you. I think I used 30% of my notes. <laughs> it's all in the preparation, isn't it? I love Rosie, you spoke about that anchor. Anyone pick up on that? <clears throat> it's funny that I talked about a dead corpse in our back, uh, which is partly where the idea of dead weight comes from. Ever having a dead weight? Yeah, like the dead corpse in your back. There's actually another, uh, a, another lineage that that, that, that um, saying comes from, and it has to do with a permanent anchor that's used for ships and yachts that is immovable on the ocean floor. And we have a choice, church, whether we're going to focus on the dead body that's on our back or whether we're going to tether off to the dead weight that is found in the hope of Jesus, that it anchors us. And so I've got two responses that I'm gonna do real quick. I'm gonna do them at the exact same time. And I've got a little picture that might come up, come up there. Um, it says storage almost full. If it doesn't, that's all right. There it is. Anyone had that come up on your phone before? Storage almost full. It's happened to me a few times and it's really frustrating. Because I'm at a point where I want to like take a, a picture or you know record something majestical. It's usually just downloading some game that I don't really need anyway. Um, the storage almost full, and we do that in our lives where we hold on to our past for too long, and it builds up, and there's not enough room for God to give us new wine, to give us a freshness, to give us a new hope. We hold on to these things and we don't let go. And so I've got two responses, and they're this. The first one is going to be for anyone who has never tethered themselves to the hope of Jesus. The ones who have just been floating in the sea and you go, this makes sense. I can see why there's evil in the world. I can see why there's evil in me. But I want to tether to the hope that's immovable, to the dead weight that is holding me in hope to Jesus. And the second one is this, for those of you who have been holding on to the negative dead weight in your life been focusing too much on areas that God doesn't want us to focus on. Paul actually says, though I sin, it's no longer me. There is a new life and a new creation in us. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.